When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this week's edition of Terry's Talking. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, joined as always by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist for the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Cleveland.com. Terry, how you doing? I am well, David. You know, I don't know what we're going to talk about this week. What a bore! It's so boring to be working in Cleveland sports. No breaking news, nothing yeah. to debate. What are we going to do? Um, <laughs> let's well, right get. Be- well, anyway, I know what we're going to do, Browns. So I mean, but right before we came on the air the Kobe Altman's getting his extension that's right there's always something going on what a crazy week it's been yeah so do you want to get into what kind of yoga the Browns should do regular or hot or should we get into the Baker Mayfield thing well I got a guy said no they need Pilates there you go there you go I want to say this um and some of the players should know this that I know over the years the Browns have had massage available to the guys and acupuncture and all kinds of stretching programs. They have all these people that they would bring in, you know, but with COVID that took care of that the last couple of years where you just couldn't do it. I mean, I guess maybe somebody on your training staff could do it, but it's not as if this is something that had never been thought of or done before in Cleveland. They've had all kinds of things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's obviously rules you got to follow and protocols. So, all right. So And let's face it. You didn't like losing those players when people got, you know, the last thing you'd hate to do is say we had a yoga class and wiped out five starters. <laughs> that would be something. Boy, oh boy. Um, OK, so Baker Mayfield, Terry, um, where do you stand with everything right now? And obviously there was a lot of stuff, uh, both I don't want to say on and off the field, but a lot of stuff on social media, a lot of people debating whether he's going to be back or not. Where do you stand with everything? Just give us like a bird's eye view of how you're feeling about all this. Well, number one, the Browns did what is what I would do. He's my quarterback until he's not. A veteran football coach told me a long time ago, if you're smart, that's how you play it. Right up to the day you make a change, you say he's your guy. Because you never know if you're going to have to stick with him. You may have some other great plan all set, and it falls apart. And if the other guy thinks your quarterback thinks you're doubting him, um, you're in big trouble. So you say that. Secondly, then you go, well, even if you're playing the who else but Baker, it's, it's difficult to find somebody that you would want that would be available. I'm not talking Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, you know, and Deshaun Watson's very complicated. You still have the legal things hanging over him, the price tag. So then you get into, you know, Baker versus, you know, Kirk Cousins, Baker versus, I forgot I had some other people on the list, Andy Dalton. You know, it's not a great, a lot of choices, but in fact, you mentioned it to me when we were just talking about, but you never know. Also, I remember last year, Matt Stafford became available. So there might be a guy like that. But in general, you want Baker thinking you love him. You want Baker working hard on his rehab. 
And meantime, you could work hard on getting Baker ready and looking for another quarterback at the same time. You ought to do two things at once. Yeah, and so maybe we could do a quick recap of everything that's gone on. I, I just I wanted to give some people perspective. You and I have been in this business long enough to kind of see some of this stuff happen before. So just to recap, Mary Kay, one of the preeminent NFL beat writers in the country, wrote a piece last week saying, hey, there's friction between Baker and Stefanski and some of the offensive coaches about what they're doing. No surprise, right? Like we've heard Baker call out the coaching and, and the play calling and some of the stuff. So Mary Kay basically based this on reporting. She knows a lot of people in the NFL, has a lot of sources. And then Baker pushed back and said, don't put words in my mouth. The Browns on over the weekend, word got out and there were these national reports and everybody took it as like a contradiction of what, what Mary Kay had written. And I didn't take it that way at all. I was really surprised people put so much stock in it, but, but national reporters started reporting the Browns plan to go ahead with Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. And to me, which was kind of an empty statement, right? Like we've seen this before, like Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly planned to be the coach at Notre Dame, just like you're saying, Terry, until he wasn't, until he took the job at LSU three days later and called a, what, a a. 7am meeting with his players to tell him he was leaving them in the middle of a season. So everybody plans stuff like coaches plan. I plan to be the coach here next year. And I plan to be this and I plan to be that. So Yes. What, and you wrote this. What are the Browns supposed to say? Like, that is what and, they and, teach and you in PR 101. Was, let's talk a little bit about the Mary Kay thing. Number one is uh, when she said there was strain between Baker and the coaching staff, she's right. Of course she was. Baker said it himself. He didn't like what, how they did the blocking with James Hudson. He didn't like some of the play calling. Um, that's what he said directly at the podium on news conferences. So if you're saying that publicly, Lord knows what you're saying privately. It certainly isn't, oh, uh, I didn't mean it. You're, you're, there's conflict. Secondly, when things go poorly, as they have for the quarterback and the coach, there is going to be conflict and strain. This is just common sense. And I wrote some of this in my uh, Sunday notes. So, so Mary's at, Mary Kay is absolutely right on that. Um, and in terms of, uh, and she said, well, maybe you'd ask for a trade. I mean, I don't know about that. That's, to me, that was a little speculative. Maybe yes, maybe no, but... It's not about the worst time you could ask for a trade. Then again, David Njoku's done it twice. Yeah. So I guess it's possible. Yeah, the and, main- and the way she phrased it was that if, if things don't get worked out this yeah. offseason, he might consider asking for a trade. Like that right. was that's a that's completely possible. reasonable option. You just mentioned Besides, that's that's, that, that. The main point is that they have some work to do to get themselves back together, the coaching staff and Baker. And the truth is, they have some work to do to get themselves back together. And anybody else who thinks otherwise is in denial. Meanwhile, Baker is very sensitive. And, and I also think sometimes when you haven't been criticized quite like this in his career, uh, if you have any insecurities, they come out. Uh, and so, you you know, they always shoot the messenger. But it's it'd be one thing if Mary Kay made a career being a rip artist and that. I mean, she's not. So... Uh, I just, that's why I did back her some of my Sunday notes saying, no, and Baker should have more to worry about. Then I quoted uh, Paul Feinbaum. Remember he said, Baker was a poor man's Johnny Manziel. Well, how do you like that one? (laughs) Of course he's wrong. And we saw Johnny Manziel, but that's more, I mean, go spend some time in New York or somewhere else and, and get a load of that act. I mean, Cleveland is a soft media market compared to, some of the other bigger cities. And that's just 
uh, a fact. And these guys in that regard should be grateful to be playing here. Yeah, and all of our Browns reporters on our, on our Orange and Brown Talk podcast last week actually did a podcast about what it's like to cover a pro team in the social media age. So if you get a chance, yeah. listen to that. It's interesting stuff. And the other thing, Terry, I was thinking about is like, there's like a three-step plan. If the Browns wanted to make all this go away and Baker wanted to make all this go away, there's, they could do three things. Like Baker could hold a press conference and say, hey, I believe in Kevin Stefanski and the coaches, and I think they're gonna we're going to go to the Super Bowl. And then yeah, Kevin Stefanski – one yeah. of his missive on that. He Kevin Stefanski that. could hold a press conference and say, we think Baker's the answer here long-term, and we think he's the quarterback to take us to the Super Bowl, and we want him around for long-term. And then Andrew Barry could sign him to an extension, and this exactly. would all go away. But and in the meantime, this is, what we're, this is what we're discussing. So. so, And they're not, and they shouldn't. There's no reason to sign this guy to an extension. Because uh, I was just talking to a top NFL executive before you, and I said, the one advantage you guys have over the, the Cavaliers and the Guardians is that you have the franchise tag. It allows you to have more gravity. Yeah, these players don't like to be franchised, but what are they going to do? Spit at $22 million a year or whatever the franchise tag is going to be? Dak Prescott just played through it and he got, you know, he got his money. Uh, Kirk Cousins, remember, he just kept getting franchised and then he finally, uh, went, I think he got franchised twice, didn't he? And then he went to Minnesota. I think you're right. I think you're right. So, um, didn't hurt them. If you're trusting your ability, you could you can do that, and it gives the team more time to evaluate. So, um, that's why with Baker, there's a lot of speculation, but in effect, you know, we're probably going to see him back next year on the last year of that contract, see how he plays, and then they'll either give him an extension or franchise them, or let them go. Yeah, and it's all on the table. And uh, yeah. actually, Terry, I just wanted to plug something real quick. We started we started a series today uh, that Doug Maurice has a column up. Uh, we're calling it the Mayfield Matrix. And it's kind of getting into all the different combinations of things that the Browns could do. They could bring Mayfield back and just ride with him. They could bring him back with a veteran. They could, you know, there's all different ways that we're going to look at five different ways the Browns could approach this offseason and the future with Mayfield. So uh, be sure to check that out. But you're right. It's all out there for them. And they do have a lot of options, which is which is good. So, yeah, you, you could always trade them, but I think it would be difficult. But if you're say you're a quarterback hurting team, I mean, your quarterback is. I'm having a blank uh, right now and who's like desperate for a quarterback, but you don't have one. I could talk myself into Baker making a trade for Baker because a, he isn't on a long-term contract. I got him for one year. Secondly, two years ago, 2020, I liked that. That looked good to me. Three, there was something wrong with him. It's not his right shoulder. It's his left shoulder. Get it fixed for the old fresh start theory. Go somewhere else, get a fresh start. So I, that's why I think he's got maybe more trade value than people think. Not a ton, but there might be a couple teams that would be willing to go down that road. But if you trade them, they're not going to trade you a quarterback back because that's why they want Baker. I mean, they'll right. give you some guy, but they won't, you know. So you can't just be sitting there and say, let's trade Baker, go with Case Keenum and draft some kid or something I, that that's not the answer. So um, one more thing on Baker before we move on, did you, what did you think of Baker not meeting the media this week? So just to fill people in on how it works, usually when the season ends, 
the head coach has a, has a press conference with reporters, a media conference, and then a bunch of players do. And Baker was not one of the players who talked to the media this week. What, what was your take on that? My guess is somebody and his agent or somebody else told him, it's time for you to stop talking because this is not going well. Because if he goes in there, then he's got to explain his Mary Kay stuff. And you get into all these, um, you know, kind of silly off the field stuff where the stance should be, we're going to go get our shoulder fixed. I'll see you in a few months. Do you think it mattered to Joel Batonio and JOK and the other players who, who did speak that he didn't speak, the starting quarterback didn't speak? Do you think that is an issue with them? They probably would have wished he had, but they also, I mean, in the end, it's a business. I mean, in fact, Duck Deacon told me this. We were talking a long time ago about Belichick. And he said, you know, we really, those of us who play a long time in the league are bottom line guys. We don't care so much about the coach's personality unless it's just dreadful. Does he help me win? And he said, it's the same thing with your fellow players. You know, you're not worried about his life away from the field or all this stuff. Is he going to make me make us win and make me money? And so whether Baker shows up for the press conference or not, they're going to be really looking at in the spring, you know, in the summer, does it look like he's going to help them win? And, because, you know, make them all money. He made some – Baker helped from 2020. Um, some people make some money this year. You know, Nick Chubb got an extension. He would have got it anyway, but Baker playing well in, in 20 certainly helped Chubb. Uh, Wyatt Teller, you know, that kind of thing, because it, it helped some of these guys get extensions because they won. The team was more willing to pay. All right. So, hey, there's more going on than Baker, obviously. The, the Kind of the two – themes that I kind of caught on to was number one, the, the yoga and the kind of the soft tissue injuries. We kind of touched about touched on that at the beginning. The other one that came out, it seemed like there was a, the players were saying they didn't feel like the team was really connected this mm-hmm. year. Like the offense and the, the offensive players and the defensive players kind of stayed on their own side of the room. I mean, not, not, not literally, but figuratively, they kind of were, were just well, their they own. Probably did. I mean, David, yeah, they, they might have, but, oh, but they, they wanted the players seem like they want more, they want more kind of unity. What, what was your, what was your take on that? Well, number one is when you are in COVID, we all want to frankly be able to connect with more people more often. And we really have been sheltered in different areas, you know, just like some people in the newspaper business, not me, cause I've worked at home for decades are used to going in the office and seeing other people. Now they don't. You could do Zoom calls or talk to them, but it's not the same. The other aspect of this is I think when one side of the ball is so much better than the other side of the ball and the defense, while early in the year they trashed a couple of games, in the end they won a lot more games from the Browns than they lost. And they're looking at the offense, and now offense lost a lot more games than they won. That does create some strife. and some separation and there might be a little bit to the fact that when the coach is the play caller and is spending a lot of time just with the offense, they don't feel he's that connected with the defense. But I really believe that of those three things, you know, the COVID one and also just where one side of the ball is so much better than the other can create that. So the Browns are probably going to look at some kind of team building stuff. If I oh, kind sure. of know their vibe and, and then of course, winning solves all right. Everybody's a lot yeah. happier when you win. Yeah, so. I mean, 
I, the same, I mentioned to you before about being on the, uh, with this executive. We actually talked a little bit about that. And what we kind of came to, he said, you know, the question always is, does winning build the culture? Does culture build the winning? And we both kind of leaned in the direction of winning build the culture, although a really bad culture where it's just a mess, which we've seen in Cleveland for many years before this, it, it, it almost eliminated the chance of winning you know, where it's always coming and going and everybody's always being fired and people only would come here as a last resort or, or they were wildly overpaid, you know, that, that hurts winning. But in terms of where most of the time it's kind of neutral, you know, guys sort of come in to see how it goes, you know, what helped Kevin Stefanski a year ago and built culture is they got hammered in their first game at Baltimore. They won a very close game against Cincinnati and then they won three more in a row. Through COVID, everything else, they had begun to build culture. And that's that's really where this year, you know, they did get off the three and one start, but then Baker started falling apart at quarterback. And then he had a couple of uh, those back-to-back awful defensive games against the uh, Chargers and Arizona. And it just seemed like the whole thing was falling. They were three and three, I believe, at that point. And then the defense pulled itself together. What they did there, by the way, is they sat down with Joe Woods, some of the uppity ups, and said, your coverage schemes are too complicated. That's why these guys are wide open. We have good enough defensive backs. Let's just play ball. And they did. And it, it changed everything. And that was good, too, whoever stepped in, whether it's Stefanski or somebody else, to tell them that. But I know that conversation happened. And then after that, they continued to – the defense rose – you know, other than maybe getting hammered at New England, I think that was their last bad game. And then, but the offense could never get out of its own way. All right. Well, they have a lot of work to do and um, it's going to be an interesting offseason. Terry, if you were kind of to pick two or three things that the Browns really need this season, it could be players, it could be positions, it could be something coaching wise. What, what would you say their biggest needs are? Well, everybody agrees on receivers. So you start there. I still think you need more defensive backs. I always look at them like pitchers in baseball. Never have enough. And I think offensive linemen are getting close to that too. Never have enough. So those will be the two things. Because it's it appears on your defensive line, you could run enough guys in there, if, especially if they bring back Clowney. They bring back Clowney and they have Miles. And you've got these different defensive tackles, you're probably going to be okay. But uh, you can't hide the offensive line. And you got to have depth there, like you said. So, and, and I, you know, I think one of the biggest injuries of the season was to Chris Hubbard. Um, yes. when, when he went down, that just, that really hurt at two tackle spots. They, you know, you go from having a guy who's got a lot of starting experience in the NFL to a couple of guys who hardly had any. That was a, that was a big one. Um, and, and also Hubbard is very good at guard. Right. I mean, it's very possible had Hubbard been healthy, they might've just kicked Batonio out to left tackle and left them there uh, for those last several games. Uh, so that's, that's another thing, but you're, you're correct on that. So they need to get a healthy Chris Hubbard. And this is two years in a row now Hubbard has been hurt. So I don't see, I mean, I guess you could bring him back on a real cheap contract, but. Uh, you got to get somebody else like him. Yeah, that swing offensive lineman, very important. 
Um, hey, so as we head into the offseason, just real quick, if you want to check out cleveland.com, Tim Bielek, uh, our colleague, had his initial mock draft up on Monday, if you want to check that out and see who he has the Browns taken. And also Matt Gould, another one of our colleagues, has started a series of the top free agents available. He did the, the complete list of the top free agents on Monday, and he's going to be rolling out position by position top free agents. So be sure to check that out and give you a good kind of uh, foundation heading into the offseason here in terms of what the Browns have. Uh, people are going to be turning free agents for them and who they might be able to sign. So, all right, Terry, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk some Cavaliers. Uh, we'll talk some Cleveland State basketball. And we got some hate Terry questions this weekend. We have some Terry's trivia. We'll, we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, let's talk some Cavaliers. Uh, big news today is the contract extension that Kobe Altman has signed to stay the Cavs GM. Uh, it kind of matches what they gave to coach JB Bickerstaff, uh, I think it was on Christmas day. If I remember when JB's mm-hmm. extension was announced, uh, it seems like from what you've been writing, you think this is a, the timing is right. And it's a good move. Yeah. I, I'm not sure when JB's contract was up, but it was coming close. And also usually when a, a guy is promoted from within almost in any business. When when say a woman executive moves up or anybody moves up, you tend to not get as much money as you would as if you were brought in from the outside. And so my guess is they decided to really up JB's contract and then match it with Kobe's Kobe's contract, I think was going to run through next summer. Um, I think he had like a, a year and a half to go. And also that gave Kobe a, the president's title, kind of like Chris Antonetti has. And that's probably a way of promoting Steve Gansey to general manager, like the, like the Indians did, or the Guardians did rather, with um, uh, Mike Chernoff and, and Antonetti. So they're probably doing something like that. I mean, it's a, it's a good thing. It's, it's, I broke it down in a column that's up now on cleveland.com. And that is, it's amazing of all the GMs Dan Gilbert's had, and you go Danny Ferry and Chris Grant, and David Griffin. The only one to get an extension is Kobe Altman. This is the second one. And actually, that's probably a good thing because you do need some stability there. But I think had Altman not got hooked up with J.B. Bickerstaff, he he would have gone down too. He needed to find his own coach. And it was very significant to me. Kobe Altman never said that um, Evan Mobley was number one on the draft board. But JB said twice, he goes, on my draft board, Evan Moby was number one. And so I think when that draft played out the way it did, it was so easy for them to draft Mobley at three because um, that's probably where Kobe had him. And JB thought, this was my pick I wanted anyway. And if you break it down, I think what really started the Cavs going in, in the right direction and yet this is where Kobe, I think, made his money a little bit was the Jared Allen deal. That was a big compliment, com, uh, complicated 14 trade with uh, James Harden going over to Brooklyn. The Cavs got in on that somehow. They heard about it. They got in on it. They, they traded a Milwaukee first-round pick in 22 to basically get Allen gambling that they would be able to sign him as restricted free agent, believing that he had a lot more upside than what he showed in Brooklyn. And they were right on every single count. So, but the once you had Allen, because if you don't get Allen, you don't see the big lineup. Yeah. You see Mobley, 
But this whole thing that came out, you know, Allen was the first, Mobley was the second, Markkinen was the third. Those three things. And then also the rise of Darius Garland. And these are all GM moves, and not any of them were no-brainers. And when, you know, when you get um, established people in the building like JB and Kobe, yes, it's good in the building for the Cavs in terms of stability and vision. A lot of times what I try and do is I try and think about how the league will see this. And, you know, we've been around Cleveland enough to see GM changes. And I think this is good. I mean, not that the Cavs are going to be making an offer for Giannis or anything anytime soon, but, you know, guys like Rajon Rondo, when they see, oh, who am I going to be playing for? And does this Mm -hmm. team have its act together? All right, I'm going to Cleveland. You know, when they're in the market for kind of these mid-level or low-level free agents, I think having stability and knowing who the guys are that are running things and that they have some success now um, can make a difference, right? And also they just say, I like the way they play. That's what the players, I like the way they play. Um, And that is, I don't know when was the last time I said that, even some of the LeBron teams, I like that they won. I didn't necessarily like the way they played uh, because it was so, with him in the middle of it, and I'm a basketball purist. I mean, I, I'm I'm a, I'm from the Stone Age. There, I still think you could do a lot of the things the Cavaliers are doing, which is you can have big men and you can defend and you can move without the ball. So that that's cor- that's correct. And also, you need the right coach to have the, as you mentioned, the respect to, to insist they play that way. Because I'll tell you, these kids now that come in the league, they're all isolation. You know, give me the ball, get out of the way, and I'm going to dribble through my leg five times, spin, and then I'll take some shot with five seconds to go on the clock. Or I'll throw it to you when you're 30 feet away and tell you to shoot it as the clock's about to explode. Right. Yeah, we've been talking about that for, for a few months now, just how the way they play is sustainable. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting. The Cavs the other night in Golden at Golden State, JB was really disappointed with how they competed. He's like, we did not play hard, as hard as we usually do. We didn't scrap. We didn't fight on the boards. Um, yeah. We got caught up in, you know, the, the commotion of Clay Thompson and playing the Warriors um, out West and just this, the spectacle of, you know, going against, um, you know, Steph Curry. And, and they came back then the very next night in the second half of a back-to-back against Sacramento and gutted out a, a win. And I think JB said that he got everything, you know, he, he was really happy except for the turnovers, but he was happy with the way the team grew from one night to the next in terms of knowing this is what we have to do to succeed is scrap, fight, rebound, defense. And it, it well, worked the next take, night. And David, along those lines, and I, I bet they do this, they should take an isolation of Rondo guarding De'Aaron Fox on that last possession. And fans may not have noticed this, but, you know, they put R- Rondo on the best score for Sacramento. Fox, a 20-point scoring guard. Same agent as Colin Sexton, by the way. He got Fox the uh, max contract. I think he was aiming for that with Sexton, but that's a side note. So Fox gets the ball. He wants to go to the rim. Fox is left-handed. Unlike a lot of players who are even told the guy you're guarding is left-handed, sit on his left side, but you get out there, your natural thing is to guard to the right. Rondo cuts off him going to the left at the foul line. Now, Fox goes back to the right, ends up taking a fall away off balance shot where he's uncomfortable because Rondo knew which way he was going to go and took it away from him. Now, he still might have made the shot. He's a great player, but it was going to take a big-time shot to beat him as opposed to 
a lot of guys would have uh, suddenly he's going to the rim and maybe he, maybe the big guys come, but then, you know, there's a, he could have passed it to somebody else open, but this, they allowed Rondo to take this guy one-on-one and he did textbook defense on it. And that's what JB talked about after the game. He goes, sometimes the game comes down to getting the stop at the right time. And I've never heard a Browns coach, I mean, a Browns coach, maybe a Browns coach talk about defense as much either, but a Cavs coach, probably what Mike Brown did uh, during uh, tenure number one, he talked a lot about defense, but that's been it. And I just think it's so important because he's drilling into who they are. You know, the one more, which means one more pass. And we're, you know, we're on the boards, we're defending. And over and over again, and if you listen to his quotes, because I've been filling in some for Chris and Fedor, and that I'm, he's pushing them harder now the last few weeks. He's starting to smell more wins uh, and demanding a little more of them. Uh, Why at the same time, he's very upbeat. He's fascinating to listen to because he does one of the things I often tell coaches to do. Say the obvious in an interesting way. And he does. And don't be afraid to praise your guys. You don't have to go overboard, but don't be afraid to praise. Him. And he's doing all that. The Cavs, uh, after that win, 23 and 18. And Terry, you had a really interesting stat. I was not aware of this. So if you double their record right now, that, that would get them to 46 wins. And as you pointed out, their last winning record without LeBron was 97-98. It's been that long. And this season would be 46 wins um, if they keep playing at this current pace. That's really something. It is, and you go through, uh, you know, the three previous years here, then 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 LeBron was here. Then you go through the four previous years uh, when LeBron was gone the first time, so that's seven years. Then you go through three or four more years before that, before you finally get to 97, 98 with Mike Fratello. I believe in that whole span, not only a, a winning record, there was none, I think the biggest amount of victories was 33. They weren't even close. So this has been a breakthrough year. And that's why I don't want people, some will now navigate people, well, they, they create some 14 trade with Kevin Love and Ben Simmons. or No, just play it out. And now you're at the point now with Kevin Love, he's only got a year and a half left to go on the contract. He, you're getting something out of him. You know, just let it sit there. And then look at it in the summer. Because then actually he might have real trade value with a year to go on his contract if he continues to play well. But there's no reason to, uh, to do anything other than, as one Cavs executive told me, we're going to kind of work around the edges, you know, like right. Rajon Rondo, maybe bring in another guard, but not mess with what they're building. All right, so the Cavs are wrapping up their uh, six-game road trip this week. Tonight, uh, Wednesday, they're at Utah, and then they finish it up with a back-to-back Friday at San Antonio and Saturday at Oklahoma City. Then they have a quick stop home on Monday against Brooklyn, and they head to the Bulls next Wednesday. Which should be oh, a good one. Jeez. Should be a good one. So, hey, Terry, there's another good, another basketball team in town playing some good hoops this uh, this time of year. Cleveland State men's basketball, the Vikings. They got a big game on Thursday night. It's number one versus number two in the Horizon League standings. Cleveland State's ten and three, and they're six and zero oh in the Horizon. And Oakland is coming in from suburban Detroit. They're eleven and four, five and zero. Oh, and I know you've been writing about this this week. This is this is probably one of the you know, most exciting games Cleveland State will have this season, uh, 7 o'clock tip at the Wolstein Center. Right. And last this year, yeah, and unfortunately last year, um, people weren't able to see Cleveland State with their rise and, you know, to the NCAA tournament. 
Uh, Oakland's a fascinating team and a mid-major thing. The mid-major poll came out uh, top 25. Uh, Gonzaga's number one, and I forgot who else was number two, but there's some other big names in there. Uh, but Oakland was 15 and Cleveland State was 21 in that poll. Uh, Akron U, by the way, is also in the top 25 of the mid-major poll. So that's, we have, it's nice to got Akron and, and Cleveland State, both around here and uh, good mid-major teams. Oakland has a uh, transfer from uh, Marquette, and uh, suddenly I'm having an old man's moment, Jamal somebody. He's averaging 21 points. He averaged 10 points for Marquette last year. Um, and so he has lifted them to a new level. They have a point guard named Moore who's leading the um, all of Division One in assists with 8.4. Greg Confey has been there, the coach there, for 38 years. Uh, and so Cleveland State beat them three times last year, including in the conference final, to go to the NCAAs. So this is to be a big-time game for both of them. They both played Oklahoma State. That's one common opponent they had uh, out of uh, uh, conference. Uh, Oakland won that game over Oklahoma State, and um, Cleveland State, I believe, lost a tight one to them. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. You know, I went down there last week to see him play Purdue, Fort Wayne. Roberta and I, my wife, we enjoyed it. We sat down, and by the way, uh, Dennis Gates says he's a germaphobe, and he is. He's always been that way. Like if you watched it, the guy's always impeccably dressed, no matter what, and. So he goes, you know, it's really easy to social distance at the Wallstein Center. <laughs> what you did, you kind of get a row to yourself or something. So, uh, which is what Roberta and I did, actually, when we went there. Yeah, there's going to be some good seats and uh, tickets are really reasonable. I've been down there for some games. Tip-offs at 7 on Thursday. And then if you can't make that one, um, the Vikings are home against Detroit on Saturday at 3.30. So it should be interesting. Those teams, Oakland and CSU, they're going to see each other again, I'm sure at the Horizon League tournament. Um, so that should be a good one. Terry, uh, hey, your faith column this week, you're writing about how a lot of times we say, oh boy, I'm so dumb. Why did I do that? And we, we tend to beat ourselves up. And I, I thought it was interesting, kind of, you gave some really good tips on how people can kind of work through that. Yeah, I mean, number one is that, uh, I mean, every now and then I go, I can't believe how dumb I am. But some of us, we start saying it over and over again. And that becomes the tape that runs through our head. And uh, there's an article in psychology today that I really like. The guy wrote, we could say that what other people tell us, you know, influences it because, but actually what we're telling ourselves influence us. And that sometimes comes when we, we, we grab onto things that others have told us. And as I wrote, we don't consider the source. And oftentimes when we are around people who are extremely bitter or just looking for fault all the time, the real reason they're that way is they don't, you know, whether you want to call it, don't like themselves or they're so down on themselves that they want to just lash out at others and they want to drag us into that spider web of negativity. And the next thing you know, we have the same stuff running through our head. I mean, what we tell ourselves, we all have conversations in our head. I mean, I always say that's one of the things that prayer is that way for me. A lot of times, all right, Lord. I don't want to mess up this podcast. You can leave that to me. I'll take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> or, and what I hear sometimes, well, don't be afraid to shut up. So <laughs> take a moment before you decide what you're going to say. And so that's, that's what it was. It, it may sound kind of elementary, but I think when people read it, it'll, it'll be 
something they probably haven't thought about in a long time, if ever. Yeah. I mean, when I was reading your column, I was thinking there's um, that, that sitcom modern family. And there's a, there's an episode where the, one of the daughters is graduating and she's going to give us the commencement speech at her school. And she's going to, she's going to lay into all the bullies and all the people who, who have treated her poorly through the years. Look, I'm the valedictorian. And her sister says, listen, everybody has stuff like, and, and I always remember that. And she decided to change it and be more graceful. But when people lash out at you, like, they're probably going through stuff and you, you know, you don't realize it. And I think you're right. If you kind of take that into account and realize, Hey, that person might be dealing with something themselves. Uh, you can kind of come at it from a different point of view and it might change how you feel about it. So everybody has opinions, but all, not all opinions are created equal. Yep. Yep. I'm very, I'm very serious on that. And we have to consider that. And the same thing now, as I've gotten older, um, I'm not afraid to say, I know, we're just, when I'm do, I don't know rather, or when I'm answering a question, just answer the part of the question I do know. It's like, I haven't dealt with a lot of Baker's injuries and how much it's impacted him other than I know there's some problems, but I have dealt with the, what the numbers show of how he's played with them, which is poorly. So in the end, the decision to play Baker, those last six games or by three games into it, you saw this gets going very badly. That was a poor decision, regardless of why he was playing badly. All right. Hey, check out Terry's Faith in You column. It's going to be on cleveland.com on Saturday morning and then in the Plain Dealer on Sunday. You can look forward to reading that. All right, Terry, we got a lot of really good questions this week. I know we're running short on time here. Um, let's blow through some of these. Hey, Terry questions. You ready? Mm-hmm. This one was really interesting. Um, and thanks to all of you who are listening to the podcast. It's been growing week by week. And we got an email from Stefan Esker, who lives in New York. He says he's turned his grandpa onto our podcast. Dick, Gla- Dick Gless is his grandpa's name, and Dick lives in Akron. We want to say hi to them. Um, Stefan's living in New York, and he comes back several times to visit. But he says, hey, Terry, after this Brown season finishes in classic Browns fashion, what is the reason that year after year Cleveland remains a football town above all else, especially when they have such a well-run baseball club? Is there a valid explanation to this phenomenon? And this is a chance for you to plug your book, Brownstown, I suppose. But well, yeah, um, Brownstown 64, Vintage <laughs> Browns, or any of those. Why is it that my Browns books always outsell my other books? What's your theory on this? Look yeah. on the Cavs winning the title. <laughs> and the answer is it's a football town and it just is, you know, whether it's because Canton's down the road, Ohio State's such a powerhouse, the high school programs are so strong. It just is. Now, conversely, I would say Detroit's a baseball town. And I would say Cincinnati's a baseball town. I would agree. And St. So Louis. Boston's a baseball town. St. Louis is a baseball town. You know, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, they're football towns. And that's just the way it is, I guess. Great question. Um, all right, this one comes from Ross Orsi, who lives in Ottawa, up in Canada. Thanks for sending this oh. in, Ross. He says, hey, Terry, I've been a Browns fan all my life. I remember watching the 1964 championship. We've kind of gotten into this, Terry, but he says regarding this season, given the talent on the team, how much of the blame you think should go to Baker Mayfield and how much should should go to Kevin Stefanski and the coaching staff in terms of game planning, game calling and things like that? Um, How would you answer that? I mean, the problem is the coach and the head coach and the quarterback are so tied together. Uh, it, It is hard to, separate them one is baker played poorly beyond the injuries you could see he made 
He didn't see the field very well, hung onto the ball too long. Uh, that hurt him. And then Stefanski, in the end, whether you want to talk play calling or simply that he didn't want to just pull the plug on Baker the last three or four games and go to Case Keenum and see how that would go, that's a coaching decision. Um, but the stats are just overwhelming. I think in the last six games, Baker had uh, 11 interceptions, 10 touchdowns, and completed like 52% of the pass. It was terrible numbers. Yeah, they were. And so we have another Mayfield question here. This is, we've been talking about this and I know you've been very strong on this point, but there's a little bit of a twist on it. So I did want to ask if this one comes from Jack in Erie, Pennsylvania, he says, Hey guys, I enjoy the podcast. While everyone's focused on Mayfield. I don't think the Browns are getting enough flack for screwing up this season. They should have gone to case Keenum as soon as Mayfield got hurt, which you've written Terry many, many times. But his question is if they had allowed Mayfield to heal and played Keenum, do you think they would be in the playoffs? I would say, yes, you only need to be one or two more games. I, I, other than that 41 to 16 shellacking of the, the Bengals, remember that's when we thought it was about seven or eight games in the, uh, left in the season. I think it was seven left in the season. Uh, that game, that was like the Haley's Comet game. It came out of nowhere and went back to wherever it was. That was like the flashback to 2020. That's when they when they let go of Odell. Um, maybe they don't win that game with with Kate with Case. I don't know uh, because that that was a high powered offensive game. That was also a game where uh, Denzel, Denzel ran back a ninety nine yard interception to start it. Um, but the rest of those games, they couldn't score. They couldn't score more fourteen points. They're throwing the ball the other team. They could have won one or two more with that. So and there's your case. So yes, high. then. Yeah, I think they would have made the playoffs. I know this. It would not have been any worse. I'm, now I'm just talking the second half of the season, really. Right, right. Um, because early on, it was, you know, I'm, I'm looking back. Like, Baker had a big game against the Chargers. They lost 47-42. They got just simply hammered by Phoenix. It didn't matter who would have played that game. Uh, but I look at where they lose 15-10 to 10 to Pittsburgh. I wanted. I wrote a comment specifically that Kate should play that game with no um, kicker in the second half. When no the Steelers kicker, had no kicker. Half and yeah. all that. By the way, Steelers in the playoffs again. I mean, if you're a Browns fan, that's just got to really irritate you. Yep, it's bad enough when the Browns don't make it, and then that happens. That was and some, they got a hundred quarterback who's overweight and throws three yard passes, and they have the worst run defense in the NFL. And they're in the playoffs. As usual. Going anywhere, but they're in the playoffs. I mean, a year ago, we thought Pittsburgh's done. Cleveland's on the rise. I still think Pittsburgh's done going to the next year. And I want to see Cleveland on the rise, but I don't think anyone predicted uh, at that point a year ago that the Steelers would be in the playoffs and the Browns wouldn't. Quite a reversal of fortune. So, all right, we got one more, Terry. This is from longtime friend of the podcast, Kathleen Thompson. She says, hey, Terry. What are your thoughts on how Rajon Rondo's played for the Cavs so far? I know you talked about the, the Fox sequence at the end yeah, of the Sacramento yeah. game, but overall, what do you think? I mean, for a guy they just picked up for nothing, uh, Denzel Valentine, it's really not, he's not as good as Rubio because he can't score like that. And they have to tell um, Rajon, they're going to leave you open all the time in a three-point line. You don't have to shoot it all the time. <laughs> it's not your game. 
You can take a few, but not too many. I mean, his first game, he took eight, which is as many Darius Garland. At. No, we're, we're not doing that. But in, when it comes to setting up the um, offense, defending, uh, knowing what to, how to play, as they would call it, a plug-and-play guy you could put in there, it was a perfect pickup by Kobe Altman and was a guy that I know JB wanted very much, and the price tag was zero. And it also allows them now to shop for another guard because I think they're going to need another guard. Uh, but the urgency isn't there just to go make a, a bad big deal right away. And we're so, going to be entering buyout season pretty soon, too. Yeah, somebody might somebody shake loose, right? Fall out or, you know, Dennis Schroeder's a guy I kind of like, or some others. Some of these teams that thought they were going to do well another month or so, or I forgot when the trading deadline is. It's right around the All-Star break. Um, yeah, it should, be, it should be really interesting to see. But Rondo, you got him for nothing. And that's as good as you can do. I'm sorry, as well as you can do for replacing Ricky Rubio in desperate straits. All right. Hey, thanks for all those questions, everybody. If you want to hit us up with one, um, I know we have a couple we weren't able to get to. We'll try and get to them next week. You can email them to sports at cleveland.com and just put Terry's talking or Hey Terry in the subject line. Or if you want to hit Terry up on his Facebook page, that's a good place to send them to. So, all right, Terry, I told you I've been picking some really lame Terry's trivia questions. So I think I'm going to switch gears a little bit and I'm going to do a list today. So Kobe Altman is the 11th GM in Cavs history. How many of the other 10 can you name? And the fans can follow along as we do this. So Kobe's number 11. All right, here we go. We'll go backwards. Altman, Griffith. David Griffin, yep. Different, yeah, Altman, David Griffin, Chris Grant, Danny Ferry, Jim Paxson, Wayne Embry, Harry Weltman. Now it gets dicey because you're into the, 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 the muscleman types. Dan Delaney. Whoa, yes. How did you get that? Um, well, Fitch was sort of his own GM, but he had Jimmy Lessig for a He's while. He's on the list. Fitch is on the list. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, who the heck was it when Stan Alvick was the coach? I can't think of it. Ron Provat is what I'm seeing from oh, that's 1979. Was he not really the GM? Anything. <laughs> Well, All right, I'm scratching, him. I'm scratching him off the list. He can't be on uh-huh. here. And then Nick Maletti is listed as the first GM. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't do anything either. He owned the team. All right, we'll scratch him off this. Wow, Terry, that is impressive. You got uh, you got pretty much all of those. That was well, really I covered a whole bunch of those folks. That's why. But to do them in order the way you did, you got some memory. That's the only way I could. Uh... <laughs> all right. Hey, that'll do it for this week's edition. Anything else, Terry? That is it for me. So. All right. Thanks for doing this. As always, Terry, we'll, um, we'll be back at it. We plan to do Terry's talking next week. How about that? That sounds like a good deal. <laughs> All right. The thanks Ron, for listening. The Horvath edition. That's right. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next week on Terry's Talking.